0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger and whether he is a good guy or a bad guy, or why does that even matter? Arnold's become this this father figure, so guys have a difficult time seeing him as perhaps having negative uh, qualities and what does that mean about you and why does Arnold need to be some heroic figure for us? So we're going to talk about that gladly. That's a question from a listener. Also a question from a listener is how... World War II in particular has traumatized, uh, not just America, I would say American culture, how it's traumatized American culture, and I think it affects a lot of our discourse and our inability to talk about certain things in a healthy way is because I think these things were, were traumatic. I like talking about World War II as particularly traumatic because of the issues that were involved in World War II, right, that was Nazism versus Communism. And we got involved in that, which I don't think we had to. But I think that's why we have a difficult time talking about certain issues today. We will discuss that. First, I want to talk about the Chiefs versus the Bills game, uh, which I had a lot of relation with. I had a a strong emotional reaction, let's just say, because I I see the Bills as a good version of my team, uh, which is the Browns. which is a team that doesn't really have much of a plan, doesn't have much of a strategy, and I just get the sense. Look, I am no expert football analyst, um, but I get the sense from watching the Bills versus the Chiefs that even though the score was close, it was never a particularly close game because the Chiefs don't have to believe in themselves. I think that's the difference. The Bills, part of their game plan, whether it's stated or not, is they need to believe in themselves. And I, I just, I have, a, I just see a lot of relation there with the Browns because it's like this Rust Belt blue collar kind of, kind of city, and so much of that attitude is built around you got to have a good attitude and you have to believe in yourself. And what a luxury it is seeing the other side of that. And I think this was portrayed very well in the Chiefs versus the Bills. You know, what a luxury it is to not have to believe in yourself. And I think believing in yourself is a false god. And it's just, I see it all the time, perpetuated in self-help and cognitive behavioral therapy, which of course is, is simply glorified self-help. This this constant, and in a bunch of different ways. It, it it, you say it in a bunch of different ways that you need to believe in yourself. You need to have a positive belief about yourself and all of your negative behaviors and negative relationships come down to you not feeling good enough, which, yes, is part of it, but that's only a symptom. And I, and I see the Chiefs and any other you know, good NFL team or organization or, you know, I, I think um, the NFL in particular is interesting because it's just this huge... Project. It, it's a huge project, like a, like a big Hollywood movie with with, just, with uh, just a bunch of moving parts. So there's lots of ways you can analyze this, but I'm going to analyze it, of course, uh, psychologically. The Bills need to believe in themselves, as manifested in them giving the ball to Josh Allen and him doing ridiculous things, like a quarterback. I mean, the the, the guy is just massive. I mean, you could tell he just has a big head. Like it's just, it just looks, you know, uh, it's like his his head is just like a different bone structure or something. And uh, they just give the ball to him on fourth down and he just plows through the Chiefs defense. I mean, which is remarkable. But in high pressure situations, that's a really bad thing to rely on. And in high pressure situations in your life, it's really not a good strategy long-term to rely on believing in yourself. It's more about, I mean, how do you build a a quality football organization? I really have no idea. I mean, I I imagine you get good players. Some of those players are better than others. And and you kind of just build a a, You build an organization and even a strategy and a game plan around your key players and how you can use them uh, most effectively. and i just get the sense that the chiefs do that really well and that's why yeah they can lose during the regular season but in the in the playoffs they don't and i just think a lot of it's a huge it's a false god in our culture that you got to believe in yourself you don't have to believe in yourself that is ridiculous I definitely do not sometimes I believe in myself sometimes I don't it's this thing that happens sometimes I feel grateful sometimes I don't it's okay I don't have to feel one particular way all the time I don't have to believe in myself all the time what's more important what's way more important is that I understand my decisions you know I can analyze my decisions you know people. you know It's just such a, speaks to such a sickness in our culture that people would even think of decisions being unemotional or how you, quote, shouldn't make emotional decisions. Decisions are emotions. (laughs) It's not, decisions are a physical manifestation of your emotional state. There's no way to divorce the two. The question isn't, are you making an emotional decision? It's, are you aware of your emotions as you make the, the decision? And that's what what matters. How do you make decisions that you want to make? And when you don't make those decisions, what do you do about it? How do you engage with that process? Now, I would submit that when you understand how emotions work and over a long enough period of time, you will just start to believe in yourself more and more. But that's not giving the ball to Josh Allen and... on fourth and one is just watching him plow through the Chiefs defense which looks very difficult to do it, it just feels like there, there's just a lot of pressure I, I just watching the Bills play just feels like a lot of pressure it just feels like they have to do very difficult things and it's a lot of pressure where the Chiefs it's we have this strategy so Travis Kelsey is going to be open he's going to be open in the end zone because we know what we're doing and um, Stop trying to believe in yourself right? That That's all a distraction That's all a distraction from You don't know What your feelings are and how to manage them You don't know how to relate With the most important people in your life That's why you feel like you need to believe in yourself And That's what the bills are That's what the bills are and that's what the browns are Which is just like the bills but you know, just a worse version of that. Um, anyway. So to the questions I got from a listener. The first one, how should we see Arnold? I mean, you know, you know what my answer is going to be by emphasizing the word should there. I'm not a big fan of saying, oh, don't use that word or use this other word ins- instead of that word. You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but But the word should... I know that was a big part of the, like the self help craze in the '90s, like don't should on yourself stuff like that. Um, but that's that's a, a word when you feel like you have to use the word should. When you feel like you should, you should. It's just an opportunity to step back, to step back and say, and and just pretty much assume that you have a psychological blind spot here. And I think the psychological blind spot in this uh, listener's question is that we should feel one way about Arnold. Yes, so, you know, through a more experienced lens, this listener is saying that um, he's beginning to see that Arnold may not be the confidence and bravado that he presented himself as in Pumping Iron, for instance, and he's just really kind of a silly guy, which I agree. But why is that? I mean, Arnold's still... I'm not saying a net positive or net negative. Like, what does it matter? I like watching Predator, so I like Arnold. Yeah, and I remember when, uh, you know, during the COVID mass thing, I I forget exactly what he said in relation to something that having to do with that, but he said, screw your freedoms or who cares about your freedoms, something to that extent. And, uh, you know, which is ridiculous, and I disagreed with Arnold about that, okay. But what was even more ridiculous is... (laughs) oh like the ritual like guys would would make a video of of them taking down a a a an Arnold poster in, in their gym in their home gym and burning it on the driveway which by the way is exactly what Cleveland fans do i mean that's what Cleveland fans do to lebron to lebron's jersey after he left that's what uh, Cleveland fans did to they they had like an effigy of of art model after he took the the team to Baltimore Guys you weren't showing up to the games Or do you think he wanted to take It's just It's like you, you need to idolize somebody Because yeah you don't really have a belief in yourself The worst thing that Arnold did I, I will say Which doesn't make me Hate him or like any less Or like him anymore It just Pa- just give me pause for reflection on my life. That's that's all Arnold is, right? He's not a hero. He's just some guy. He's some guy. He's done some good things. He's done some bad things. The, the worst thing, though, I, I will say, isn't cheating on his wife with the housekeeper and having a, a child with her. Um, it was when they went to therapy, and I... I read this interview in the Atlantic, I think, I forget. But when they so he did couples therapy with Maria after that. And Arnold, it sounds like he had no self awareness because of that. All he thought that happened was I mean, he apologized. He said, Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But the extent of his analysis was what, my weenie got hard, so I put it in things. Which is true. Your weaning gets hard and you put it in things, but why are you doing that in the first place? Why are you, you know, so-called acting out? What are these unconscious emotions, right, that you're not aware or you're you're not taking responsibility for that would cause you to do something like that? Now, you're, you know, whatever high status man, you can, uh, when your weaning gets hard, you can put it in more things. So something like this is going to happen more often, by the way. You know, if you have a child out of wedlock like this with a housekeeper... Not the first time he did it. It's like when Charles Barkley gets a DUI. Uh, that's if you get caught. <laughs> I don't know why I think of Charles. I just think that's funny because his excuse to the cop was, "No, but I'm going to go get a blowjob <laughs> from this from this girl." Like uh, that's what he told the guy. Like, no, you don't understand. I know I wouldn't typically drive wrong, but this girl, she promised. You know, I get some play, so. Uh. I like that Charles Barkley would think that's a good thing to say to a cop. Anyway, um, and and again, it's just like, do I, is Charles Barkley good? Is he bad? I don't know. He's just like this funny, cultural icon guy, and he definitely has his flaws. He has his strength. Like, like why do you have to see him one certain way? Is this somebody I can relate with? And I think needing heroes, needing somebody to look up to, which I think is fine to do in certain instances. Like, I definitely do that with, you know, Victor Hugo is somebody who I definitely admire. But he had his flaws too, and I, and I just look at aspects of his life and think, hmm, for him to do something like that, he must have had this kind of perspective. So how can... Like Okay, I'm going to try to give myself that perspective, and I'm going to now think about my life from that perspective. That's it, you know? And he definitely had some less-than-seemly uh, qualities, but why does that matter? I don't need a father, right? I can be my own father. I, I, my, I father myself. I am my own father when I can put myself on two feet in, in front of a very specific source of my anxiety. That's, that's me being my own father. When I do that, I look less to guys like Arnold and Hugo as any kind of guidance, and sort of be one particular way or another. Yeah, so what was I talking about? Um, Arnold had no self-awareness about cheating. He just said, oh, my weenie got hard. I put it in things. Couldn't really take responses. So that was my big, like, oh, jeez, that's kind of... But I do that, too right there's extent that i do that as well i mean have respons- have emotions i don't take responsibility for or i really think i i do or when i'm not taking responsibility for emotions i'm aware of it and i see how it affects me i think at the very least but you know whatever it's, it's all a work in progress right there's no end point to this there's going to be a new challenge today or tomorrow that's going to cause new uh, feelings in me that I got to take responsibility for those and I, I can't do it uh, although you know I can't do it right away all the time so as much as I can look down at Arnold for not taking and for having no awareness around that I do it too you know mm. I think the big thing about that was um, that's not so evident is so that housekeeper you know, which happens when, you know, when you have housekeepers and nannies, they just become friends of the family, and I think she seemed like a friend of the family, and so she had this son who would play with Arnold's legitimate children, and did, like, they would do things together, and I think Maria started to realize, oh, wait a minute, this kid kind of looks like Arnold, <laughs> and it's just, it's humiliating, you know, it's just, like, really humiliating, um, so it's, the question isn't, is this person good? Is Are they bad? It's, can I engage with this person? Can I relate with this person? I mean, it, and especially somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger has just become this, like, cultural icon. I mean, kind of like the church, like the Catholic church. Like, you know, I don't think this is always necessary to do, but, you know, I've had clients who were Catholic or raised Catholic or maybe they're a lapsed Catholic and not all the time, but usually like a good part of their therapy is not to turn away from the Catholic Church and just come to complain to that and say all the bad things that it does, but to actively engage with the church in whatever way you want to, in whatever way you are able to do. You know, whatever that means maybe it's just going to Mass maybe it's just saying peace be with you or bless you whatever they do after the Mass bless you tight, right that's, that's what Catholics do after the Mass anyway maybe it's just taking communion and that means something to you you know maybe it's getting involved in some church group and that's that's what I would challenge you to do with Arnold and he's yeah. just this cultural figure he means something about masculinity to men and it's not just having big muscles I think that's part of it which which by the way i mean you know we i think we really take for granted how big not bodybuilding is so much but but lifting weights and so much of that comes from arnold and by the way lifting weights and bodybuilding in the 60s and 70s when arnold got into it it was weird it was this weird subculture thing and not in a cool way weird you know it was very much linked with homosexuality of course which not as cool <laughs> as it is today, right? Not even close. And just for Arnold to come to America with that accent, and he looks, he's kind of a handsome guy, but he also just looks kind of goofy. And to be able to sell it so well, I mean, that is incredibly admirable. Okay, so that's a thats a point where I say, okay, what kind of perspective did Arnold or maybe Joe Weider, being, uh, coaching Arnold, you know, vice versa, what kind of perspective did a guy like that have to be able to come to America and have that goofy accent which I think he holds on to purposely, uh, by the way, um, and sell bodybuilding and working out and lifting weights. And that's why I get down on those guys like you know Mike, Mike Benzer for complaining that he didn't win the 1980 Olympia. And Arnold came in at the last minute and it won. It's like, dude, the 1980 Olympia wouldn't have been a big, I mean, it would have been a sideshow at a county fair if it wasn't for guys like Arnold. So it's like, yeah, you know, Arnold came in and he he stole the show literally, but I I don't know, you got to put all this stuff in perspective So Yeah, Arnold did a lot for for lifting weights It was associated with homosexuality I mean, even a lot of the bodybuilders in the 80s were still I don't know, you know, involved in that community And, And he made it cool They had the moon pose <laughs> where you, you'd like put your feet together and, and bend over and grab your ankles in a sense, you know, with your butt facing the, the crowd. You know, obviously, the Platz class did it really well. You had good hamstring and glute separation. But they banned that because everybody associated bodybuilding with homosexuality. I'm not saying those guys were gay for pay, but, you know, you hear stories of them going to, like, you know, it was in L.A., so they would go to, like, some some uh, wealthy Hollywood producer's home and just doing gay stuff. And Arnold came in and said, no, this is awesome, and everybody needs to be doing this, and football players need to lift weights. and It just changed culture, and, and, and what a huge benefit it's been to my life. You know, talking about something that, you know, when I'm 23 the the worst year on on, um, I've I've ever had on this planet is when I was twenty three. You know, like the Chiefs, I always had something to go back to. I always had leg day. Did I believe in myself? No, but it was just something I could I could do. And without Arnold, would I have even done that? No, I, I don't know. Maybe I would have just found something else gotten into jiu-jitsu or jitsu earlier or something. But, uh, you know, that's so that's my challenge to you, is how do you relate with Arnold? And I think really challenge yourself and say, if you feel like you need to Arnold to be some good guy, or if you feel like you need to criticize Arnold and his mistakes to feel better about yourself, I would challenge you, well, it's time to start being your own dad, to internalize that father figure as somebody who says... Mark, whoever, it's okay to stand feet side by side, about shoulder width apart, while you're looking at a fear, while you're looking at something that you perceive very much to be able to destroy you or ruin you. Yeah. I think it's just a sign that that uh, you probably have some negative traits that need to be reconciled and i know you do because we all have those i have mine believe it or not okay so let's talk about world war ii and the traumas of this question uh by the way thank you for these questions dear listener I, um i know it's taken me a while to get to these i know i have other questions in the queue i will get to um, I have another video coming out. I think probably next week. That's going to you know talk shop and I do it about once a year. I talk about what I do here at Animus. I I am changing up a few things here. I mean the ideas are of course the same. It's just how I apply them. I'm doing a video on that. uh, You know just so that takes a little bit more prep. So I will get to all these. So anyways, World War II. I know I've talked about this a bunch of times. uh, How our culture has suffered some trauma from the world wars. How does that play out? What are the symptoms? Yeah, you know, when I first started to notice this, I really appreciate to the extent that World War II has affected us. You know, it's like the the fish not knowing what water is. I think it's just become part of our worldview. What's that German word? Our Wunderstadt? Our worldview. It's just these these things that we simply accept about the world to be true, and it's not true. It's just trauma from. I would say, in particular, World War II, which I think w- was a mistake. We, I think we needed to let the Nazis uh, fight the communists, and the, which I think is becoming a more popular view. My wife said that to me. She's like, yeah, when I first met you and you said that, I thought that was crazy, but now I think she sees it, uh, people saying it more often. Like, why couldn't, that this is a European battle of collectivism. It's like one kind of collectivism versus another. Why do we, why did we take sides on one? Um, anyways. And I think this happens in a bunch of different ways, like, individually with people. I first noticed this in grad school. I did a lot of work, well, on the Upper West Side. And then a lot of that is aging, hippie, liberal boomers. And it doesn't take long to see the pattern there that, like, oh, dad came back from World War II. Um, and, or the Korean War, which just kind of the same thing. Eh, I don't want to get into the nuance there it doesn't matter but dad came back from war which what you didn't know what dad was like before war maybe you heard stories which kind of makes it feel sad but dad came back from war and essentially what happened is he had PTSD untreated alcoholism perhaps because of the PTSD of course untreated and now you're a boomer growing up in this household you know literally and figuratively you're growing up in your dad's psychological house of his untreated trauma and so the summer of love happens in your ninth grade, well, well, why would you? Why would you continue to go to school if you, if your dad did that and he's like that? If your dad and his untreated psychological issues represent represent the dominant culture, you don't want to be a part of that. You would even drop out of school in the ninth grade, even if you come from a middle class, upper middle class family. You would drop out of school in the ninth grade to. Moved to San Francisco in 1967 To essentially get statutory raped Which is pretty much what happened Um, And a lot of these aging hippie liberal boomers in the Upper West Side So much of their life was trying to not be like their dad Um, Not having a good relationship with him Idolizing certain figures Maybe more than they should have Criticizing other figures Maybe more than is necessary Or you know, or factual. Yeah, the silent generation didn't talk. They couldn't talk and they raised the boomers so the boomers screamed. I think you had a bunch of people, you had a generation of people now who had no family. And I think that's why they would take up philosophies more likely to take up philosophies like Marxism, which is just like a philosophy for living in a community, you know, I mean Marx didn't invent Marxism out of thin air you know, th- these are ideas that were in the ether that were in the undercurrent of western civilization, of any civilization let's go back to a communal living and feel the warmth and fuzziness and oxytocin and all that good stuff from being part of a community, and I think that's why they latched onto Marxism. They, they, that idea was there, you know, in the in the ether, and they just picked it up. Now Marx made a code for it. You know, he put it in code, which is helpful, which makes it uh, more likely to to be communicated between two different people. He put it into words, and he put it in a way that was very amenable. To Western civilization at the time To Christians at the time And he knew he was doing it He says so In the Communist Manifesto He's Like this is why I'm doing it This is going to be very amenable Because people are already Christians This is essentially their worldview. So that's one cultural impact From World War II Is just a traumatized What does that do to your psyche? Um when all the able-bodied men, or not all of them, but most of the able-bodied men don't know in World War II. I mean, it, like you were seen as, as a wuss. You know, a woman wouldn't marry you. They wouldn't have sex with you if you didn't go fight to war and you could have. Uh, but what does that do to your psyche, to see able-bodied men just go off like that and, and fight some retrograde war about ideas that America has supposedly transcended? What does that do to your psyche, you know? Which has always happened. It's nothing new. This has always happened. This has happened for as long as there has been humans and we've been fighting with Neanderthals, right? Neanderthals would come in and just completely destroy our society, destroy our sense of community. But, you know, now we have nuclear weapons and technology and everything that nuclear weapons represent, all the good and the bad. And so now we see the effects of it way more. Um... Yeah. And I think it's just one of those things that we take for granted. That, oh, the World War I and World War II happened, we had to go into World War II, otherwise the Nazis were going to take over the world. No, they weren't, right? I mean, that's the other thing is, um, I, th- I think, you know, what, what's the most uh, precarious issue now to discuss in America or maybe Western civilization, and that is, of course, race. Precarious. I mean, you only can have one opinion on it. Opinion that an opinion that clearly doesn't make any sense. Our IQ, when it comes to talking about race in general, drops 50 points, which is what happens when it when you come up against any complex in your psyche. This is why you need a therapist. <laughs> you can't trust yourself to do it because you you have 150 IQ and then you get to your complex and and you can't even form a sentence about it. And so many of our ideas and our discussions about race of course don't make any sense like um Well, I mean just the fact that you can't have white pride without being seen as a nazi. No, I think having pride in your race is unhelpful. It's wrong. I would say it's ethically morally wrong to have pride in your race, but one of those white pride, you definitely can have and be part of you know normal society. Um, you know the contradiction of race doesn't exist, but at the same time minorities have some special status. Uh, again, it just doesn't make any sense, and we can't have a nuanced discussion about that because anything that might go, that might even make you look a little bit like a white pride Hitler guy you you have to go on some apology tour we we can't have it in our culture Um, the idea that you can be transsexual somehow but not transracial which I don't think you can be transracial I do think race is real I don't really think it matters that much I think people make a way bigger deal out of it than it is of course because it's you know because we don't want to be because whatever, whatever happens, you can't be Hitler, right? And that's a, a great indication of a complex. Like, guys have a difficult time being masculine because in the back of their mind, they're thinking, whatever happens, I can't be my dad. And my dad had a difficult time with anger, let's say. Well, in order to be truly masculine, you need to have uh, some literacy with your anger. So you go through life... And your, your number one goal your complex is to not be like my dad you're gonna have a very difficult time being masculine masculine you're probably gonna get drawn into stoicism or some self-help thing and you know you're gonna be at constant war with yourself but yeah you, you know you can't have which by the way I think it's wrong to have white pride right and even the fact that I need to go back and feel like I need to apologize about that nuanced point about white pride is an exact indication of the trauma in in Western culture, um, or how there can't be any differences between the race, you know, not just inequality, but if there's any difference in outcome between races or ethnic groups, or it, it must be something wrong with society. Because to say that there may be differences between races is, it's not like Hitler, <laughs> but it, it reminds us too much of. The dad that we hate, Hitler, and so we can't uh, we, we can't talk about that. Um, so it leads to things like multiculturalism or the belief that all cultures are the same, which, on the face of it, is ridiculous. All cultures are not equally valuable. Some cultures cultures are based on ideas, and to say that all cultures are the same is to say all, all ideas are the same. It's a total farce. It's a total farce. And just going through the logic of it, the only way going through the logic of it is going to help is to, I mean, look, you just need to call attention to first what's going on. You need to come out and say, no, this is wrong. Multiculturalism is wrong. Um, The idea that you can be transsexual but not transracial, that's ridiculous. I don't think you can be transracial, but if you can be transsexual, you can definitely be able to be, be transracial. It doesn't make any sense. Um, So I think those are some of the things That Those are some more specific things you see in our cultural discourse That we can't, you know We're not going to get to the bottom of a race, at least not yet I think we need to be a a few more generations away From World War II And to to ask questions like uh, You know, very much like Kanye was asking questions a few months ago Um, You know, obviously, again, I don't agree with pretty much anything he said But I, I think what he was trying to do I think Kanye is probably a very smart guy, but I think he's only smart and like, he's just a creative guy and, and I, that doesn't mean he can put words together and form a thought very well. Um, I'm making excuses for him because I, I think I get the idea of what he was doing. He's like, why can't we say um, that Hitler wasn't the worst guy of the 20th century? Like, yeah, maybe I don't want to be like Hitler, but wh- he did some good things. Why are we not allowed to talk about the good things? And I think that's a, a very good thing, what what Kanye did there. Um, not as a philosophical debate, it was a terrible philosophical debate, but, as, as a, but really what that is, it's like an art piece. It's like this avant-garde art piece. That's what that was. And that is a very good question. Why can we not talk about good things that Hitler did? Um, or good things the Nazis did? Why can't we talk about that? Well, because if we talk about that, then you may be sympathizing with Hitler and this means you have this one view on race and we don't want that. You're you're too much like Hitler. So, Um, yeah. Which I understand. And maybe that's just what we need to go through now. You know, that's what you need to go through if you are an aging hippie liberal boomer and uh, you grew up with a dad who had PTSD and was an alcoholic and beat you and molested you I mean it you know it happened a lot you know it really happened a lot so when you see the summer of love and, and you're criticizing boomers you got to understand what they were going through at the time and yeah so you have to understand why they would act out in the way that they did it doesn't make any sense but when your dad treats you like that, that may be part of the growth process. And it's my job to say we are traumatized and we are still going through that process. I think we're coming out of it. You know, I think people are really starting to understand that just because you may say that race exists <laughs> doesn't mean you're Hitler. Obviously, you treat people like they're, people are individuals first and foremost. And and I, and I think you, you see a huge... Um, you know, I was watching some Nick Fuentes stuff, and I made a tweet. It's something like, "Nick Fuentes is what happens when you don't make seventh graders, uh, when you don't allow seventh graders to make gay jokes." And I think uh, guys who are Nick Fuentes' age, they grew up; their formative years were part of now the SJW resurgence, starting around maybe twenty ten or twenty eleven, um, and and they. And, and his whole life is a reaction formation to that and that's why I, th- I think he takes race very seriously Is because well you when I grew up you told me race doesn't exist but it does exist so now the fact that you didn't talk about it tells me that this is where every all the power is that you don't want me to have and I think that's obviously I think that's not true either but I, I'm just saying I understand where, where uh, Nick Fuentes comes from mm-hmm. I think it's wrong. I understand where the boomers and the Marxists come from. It makes total sense, doesn't make it right. And that's, um, yeah. So that's how I think World War II uh, affected us. It You know, it led to the boomers that, that were more able to take up Marxism and it just makes it impossible to talk about race. Because if you talk about race and don't have the, the party opinions, the, the party approved opinions on race, which don't make any sense, which are logically inconsistent. But if you if you don't repeat that, then you're Hitler and you can't be Hitler or dad, whatever. Um, all that said though, you know, it's um the thing that affects you the most isn't you know it's not World War II. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's definitely not whether the Chiefs beat the Bills and how, in fact, they did it. It's it's whether you can make decisions you want to make. That is going to affect for for any amount World War II trauma and oh, not being able to say certain things all the time on Twitter on this private platform. Oh, poor you. You know, to whatever extent that negatively affects your life. That's one unit of of affecting your life. How you relate with your mom is a thousand units, a million units. It's not even close, it's not even comparable. Everything in your life is going to come down to be aware of cultural issues and what's going on and you may need a shift here and there, but everything comes down to what decisions do you want to make? Not your parents, not your insecurity, but you, yourself. What decisions do you want to make? Do you make those decisions? And it's okay if you don't. This is an impossible task to do 100%. But when you don't, how do you work through that? I think we're going to be way more concerned about sports, Arnold, and World War II when we lose touch with our ability to do that. And that's what I want to give you, right? I want to give you A process that you can stick to So it doesn't matter You don't have to be like the Bills You can be like the Chiefs You don't have to believe in yourself You don't have to feel grateful Ah, I mean, what a relief it is Not have to feel one way or another To get up and feel like shit But it doesn't matter It's okay It doesn't mean anything It's just sometimes you wake up And you feel like shit I mean, no, 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 no Sunrise, sunset, you know Um it doesn't matter because you know you're doing what works. You, you, you know you're doing what works and it's just about uh, doing certain things and when those things don't work out, here's what you do about it. You can take six months to do it. You can take six seconds. I don't know, Here's here's the principles. Here's the principles of therapy. Here's how therapy works. I'm not saying other therapists or other therapies don't work but they will only work to the extent that they incorporate these principles, that's it. Um, so, you know, I'm here to help you with that And show you how to do it uh, Do free consultations Joinanimus.com Thank you guys And I wish you all the pain and joy That comes from Not having to believe in yourself